took some notes this week. How did you take them, Max? Uh, using a pen on a printed copy of these two articles. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled, Pretend to Capture It All. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 31. Yes. Um, yeah. So the topic this week... Um, I hadn't really form. Well, I should be fair. I hadn't really formulated a topic when I pitched it, um, masquerading as a topic. But what I had was an interesting, very short, very simple uh, blog post that I had come across. I think it had been shared on Facebook on on someone else's wall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it was about, generally speaking, note taking. Yeah. So I guess that was sort of the implied topic. <laughs> yes. I was there. <laughs> yes, the uh, the hint of a topic. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, <laughs> how shall we begin? Well, I was thinking about... Well, and you're a student again now, so if we wanted, we could stay in the educational realm. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking also uh, maybe to start generally a question that might apply more to the realm in which you spend most of your time. Um, when you go to meetings or presentations for your work, uh, what what devices and technology do you take with you? And what sort of process do you go through sure. capturing notes? Well, um, I'm not always perfect at this, but there is one thing that I uh, I believe very strongly. I generally do have my phone with me. Not always. Um, there is a conference room that borders, has, shares a wall with my, uh, my office, so occasionally I'll leave my phone, um, I'll leave my phone at my desk because I can see notifications on my uh, VivoSmart, on my fitness tracker that I wear on my wrist. <laughs> so I'm oh kind of God. cheating. Uh, but I, tr- I try really hard not to take my phone out, but I generally have my phone with me. Um, although that's <laughs> usually more if, if we need it for reference, like, you know, I need to look at, you know, something that's in an email or something that, that comes up during the meeting. Um, mm-hmm. so as far as technology goes, like that's the only tech that's on me and I don't really interact with it. Um, and for <laughs> most of the last year, I've been pretty good about not checking notifications. Like I said, I have a Vivo smart now. It, it flashes a little indicator and buzzes when I get something on my phone. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, at the moment, the screen's actually broken. I need to send it in and get it replaced on warranty. But um, I have gotten worse about looking at notifications just because they're right there. Um, But I also can't do much about them. So, you know, it's a pretty momentary thing compared to taking a phone out and maybe getting sucked into an email. Mm -hmm. Yeah. but as far as, like, what people think of as technology, that's about all I take. Now, as far as technology goes, I mean, you know, a pen is technology. Mm-hmm. A notebook is technology. Um, and as I've, I've mentioned before on the podcast, I am currently using a, a paper notebook for my, my sort of planning and organizing of my work. 
and um, at some point I want to do like a series of YouTube videos where I like go through like how I set it up and how I use it. Um, <laughs> but suffice it to yes, say, in addition to <laughs> calendar and some lists of things to do, I also have ample places to take notes inside of it. Um, so generally mm-hmm. I just take that along. Uh, I have a pen right now, which is a fairly inexpensive example of this, but it is like a, it's like a five function pen where it's got four different colors and then pencil. <laughs> so what? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. I'll, I'll uh, put a link to the one I've got uh, in show notes, uh, from Amazon. It's, it's, um, I don't have it in front of me actually, so I can't think of what brand it is, but it's pretty cheap. It's like, it's like, I don't know, 12 bucks or something. For something for something mm-hmm. that does that much, um, it's pretty cheap, I'd say. Um, mm-hmm. So anyhow, I am generally taking notes on uh, on paper. Um, now you asked also what my process is. My process depends on what the meeting is. For a lot of meetings, my process is I then take that planner and I flip through it to something that has nothing to do with the meeting, and I sort of go through and clean up and organize and check stuff off um, and write things down <laughs> I've forgotten to write down from other places. Mm. <laughs> Um, if I care about the meeting though, and if in one of the meetings where I am screwing around and not paying attention, uh, something comes up I need to know about, um, I do flip to my notes page and write stuff down. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I almost always, and this is, this is a long-standing habit. I think this started with, with the first time I really tried to seriously do GTD. Um, but I know, I know it goes way back, you know, at least six, seven years in my work life. Um, and, and across multiple jobs, I will virtually always, whatever I'm taking notes in, um, and very often when I haven't had like a, an official notebook or planner or something, that's been just like a, a half size legal pad. Um, almost universally, you will see me if I'm taking notes in a meeting, having a page behind the page or pages I'm taking meeting notes on that I flip back and forth to, because the other thing I do is I will, as other things occur to me while I'm in the meeting that don't have to do with the meeting, I will write them down on a different page. So mm-hmm. often when I leave a meeting, I've got like a list of five to 20 things to do or to look into or just random ideas. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. My brain definitely works that way too with the, the separate list. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's something about, I think it's it's similar to being in the shower. Like there's nothing else I can do now, <laughs> so my mind will naturally wander and conjure up everything else in the world mm. I could possibly want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm thinking back to some of my coursework as an undergrad. I would think about things I had to do later in the day or, mm-hmm. you know, remember to go grab a snack or remember to go get whatever washed or whatever. Yeah. Um, I would inevitably think of it during class, so have to start sort of a list yeah. um, just to get it out of my brain and capture yeah. That always, mm-hmm. I, I think I started doing the separate page thing too because you mentioned class. I, I do think I was doing this um, the last time I was in, you know, formal come to a classroom and sit down lecture kind of classes, you know, circa <laughs> 2006, 2007, um, <laughs> because I very distinctly remember, like, running into the problem of having things that I needed to eventually get somewhere else that needed to be done somewhere else or recorded somewhere else. I would have notes and, and to do's like in the margins of pages of psychology notes you know, mm-hmm. lecture notes. And it was like, this is not, this is not good. This is not where this goes. You know, this page sure. now has, has <laughs> two to, to 10 types of content on it. And that's no good. It does not go yeah. here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing. Um, 
So the blog post itself, which is titled Three Ways Notebooks Top Digital Writing, like I mentioned, is from um, a teaching blog called Three Teachers Talk. Um, I believe the people who run this site are K-12 educators specifically, but it seems like a lot of the topics they, they like to talk about um, you know, are pretty widely applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sort of as it suggests, it's talking about the benefits of keeping uh, pen and paper technology or pencil and paper technology um, available for the note-taking process. Um, yeah, so we had been talking about, they're thinking about that for this week. Um, I'll mention the other article too, that you had shared back, um, which was from MindShift, which, um, (laughs) we were joking about NPR. I think the sponsor KQED is somehow related to NPR. I can't remember if it's a subsidiary or what. Um, but I think MindShift is somehow an NPR thing. Oh, wait, yes, it is. I yeah, see the PBS I, I think and, K- NPR KQED, logo. I think, is a member station somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, but an education site, at any rate. Um, and this article from Katrina Schwartz is called Taking Notes, Is the Pen Still Mightier Than the Keyboard? Um, which is fun. That's sort of a funny little hook into it. But yeah, so these were both talking about, um, they're both proponents for... Uh, handwriting for for handwritten note taking versus uh, digital or other forms of uh, note capture. Um, so, as a person who in her classrooms asks her students to practice a lot of these things, I was really glad to see that <laughs> the inclinations I had and the the general principles I was familiar with um, still seem to be true, according to both other teachers and people who've actually done psychological studies about such things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was talking to yeah. science the other day. <laughs> and he slash she agreed. <laughs> I am great. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So what, because um, I know I sent you the, the article and then you had this one to share back too. Um, what were you taking away from sure. these ideas? Well, I'd, I'd say let's, I would, I would just cause these are sort of the sequential nature of the notes I took. I'd say, let's start with that blog post. <laughs> um, sure, yeah, these will, these will definitely be in show notes if anybody wants to read and neither one is particularly long. I'll link to the actual study referred to in the second article as well, but the actual, you know, both of these articles themselves are, are pretty quick light reads. Um, mm-hmm. as I, as I, um, mentioned to Katie a few moments ago these I printed out and I mean I've got a total of five pages including images and a lot of white space so mm-hmm. um, not not heavy reading um, but the first one three teachers talk which I notice also um, the the subject of the post is three ways notebooks top digital writing so I think they've they've really got this threes theme going on um, <laughs> which is a fan of the game mm-hmm. threes I appreciate um, but it is very much just from the the point of view of the writer's experience, um, and uh, it lays out these these three basic ideas, which um, uh, I don't know if you wanna if you wanna briefly list and summarize, or if you'd like me to. But I think we can we should go ahead and share them as a starting point, if that's okay. Sure. Um, so this this blog post is particularly general. Um, it's not citing. Um, Specific research, more anecdotal 
examples of these things. Uh, and it's written by uh, Shanna or Shana Carnes, mm-hmm. um, one of the yes. authors on well, this blog. As, as they say, I mean, it might not be research in, in the sense of having a large number of participants in a, in a formal study, but, you know, as the saying goes, the singular of data is Shana's blog post, so. Absolutely. Hashtag Shana Shana. <laughs> um, <laughs> ambivert life. <laughs> um, yeah, so she's writing about uh, three benefits that she finds um, in her classrooms and in the classrooms of teachers that she's talked to. So one is that uh, writing in a notebook, having a specific designated writer's notebook. Um, so one, it slows down a person's thinking. Uh, so most people generally can type faster than they can handwrite. Um, so literally to focus on a single sentence at one time stretches out the time per thought. You know, I didn't say that very well. Um, but yeah, you are literally taking longer. Mm-hmm. So each thought you have more time to process as you're writing. Um, another thing she contends is that notebooks also make things visual. Um, so sort of like you mentioned with your um, fancy pen, your adventure <laughs> pen, um, with your four colors and pencils. Um, she's talking about things like being able to switch colors, um, mark and draw lines and arrows, things like that. Um, which, of course, you can do these things digitally, too. We have the power. Um, but something about physically getting to make connections, literal lines between things. Um, she's saying that's a benefit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, and this one I actually hadn't thought of, um, but I, I absolutely have experienced this. Uh, she says, finally, notebooks illustrate volume in a way that typed papers or blog posts just can't, um, which is ironic because they're online. <laughs> <laughs> this, this note is online. Um, so she's personally talking about going back through her old notebooks and getting to see what she was thinking about from different courses that she's taken um, at different moments in her life, what she was thinking about and how she was sort of scribbling out notes and, and doodling and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, it's sort of documentation. Um, when, when I talk to my students, I, I've started pointing this out even just last week um, about how it is really gratifying to look back over the course of a semester and see what you've produced. How have you been stretching your muscles? How were you practicing these different things? Mm. Um, And you can see that volume, as she suggests here. Sure. Yeah. So that's the blog post. Yeah. I um, And I I had several thoughts um, as I was reading it, um, both in agreement and disagreement um, Mm -hmm. at various points. But I, I, I think it's I think it's a thoughtful post and I think it will tie in nicely to the research we'll talk about in a bit here. But I don't know, a couple things that jumped out at me about about each one though. Um on the point about slowing the writer's thinking down. Um there's a, there's actually like a little there's a twist in her paragraph that I, I think was I don't know if, if she realized she was doing it or if I'm you know, if I'm if I'm misinterpreting something she said, but she talks about, uh, she says specifically, I'll, I'll just read verbatim here for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been pondering the notion of length in my instruction, reading longer texts, writing longer pieces, sustaining an idea or reflection for a longer period. While brainstorming ways to do that, I realized notebooks were one way to add length to the thinking process, which is absolutely true. Like, like we're saying, this slows down your thinking. It slows your role as you are putting words on the mm-hmm. page. 
Um, <laughs> but, and that, that does sustain mm. an idea of reflection, but her middle thing that she said there, the writing longer pieces, I don't think is at all contributed by, by writing out by hand. Um, I think that would be almost universally the opposite effect um, that writing by hand versus typing would have. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to end up with longer pieces by... Um, and I, I, I think, I do think, I do suspect for most people, um, the process of writing by hand will cause you to slow down and think a little bit. Um, something I might talk a little bit more about this uh, when we get into the other article. The other article I found specifically because the morning after you proposed this one as a possible topic, uh, I was listening to Upgrade with Jason Snell and Mike Hurley, um, very highly recommended mm-hmm. tech podcast. And on last week's episode, they briefly talked about this other article about the research on note-taking versus typing. And uh, when discussing that, Jason Snell made a reference to an earlier post he'd made about the process of writing on an iPad, um, you know, not, not with an attached keyboard or anything, but just like typing on the glass. And that's such a slower process. Like a lot of people now can touch type on glass. We're getting to the point where that is a skill that exists in the world. And some people are pretty quick and accurate at it. But for most of them, including including Mr. Snell, um, it's a lot slower, a lot more error-prone. But he said that that also changed how he was writing in an interesting and not necessarily bad way um, because he had hmm. to slow down and think more. Um, so I think you're, gonna, you're probably going to get deeper into an idea in some ways. You might write a little bit more carefully writing slowly, but yeah, I, I, think, <laughs> I think she kind of makes an error in connecting writing longer pieces to um, handwriting you know, as a way to stretch thoughts out. Because mm-hmm. um, the other, you know, the, the flip side is the reason that you're thinking more when you write about what you're writing than when you type is because it takes a lot longer. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you won't go as far. No, I hear you. Um, and I certainly would agree with the assumption that in a given amount of time, most people would produce more but perhaps less thoughtful mm-hmm. text if they were typing Indeed. versus handwriting. So that does seem sort of counter to what yeah. she's talking about. Yeah. <clears throat> I wonder if she was showing us how she was thinking about it, that at first she was thinking about length, mm-hmm. but then what she realized she wanted was length to the thinking mm-hmm. process yeah. and not those other things. It's, Maybe it's just not, so, I mean, I'm reading generously. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I mean, it is, but yeah, we're, no, we're talking about a blog saying. post, not, you know, this isn't her dissertation, mm-hmm. I assume. Man, if you only had to write that much for the dissertation, <laughs> more people would have them. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. No, fair enough. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, too, and this is something that, like, as, as, the, as far as the link thing goes, this is one reason why I think in general I've preferred, I've taken a lot of laptops to a lot of classes, but in general I kind of preferred the results I got writing by hand not just because of what we'll talk about in a moment about the, the comparative, you know, as research shows, the higher value of taking notes for learning the material, but also just because I appreciated having less to deal with when I came out of the class. Um, oh, yeah. Even the ones, less to sort. Even when I'm having to write frantically, like just not having, you know, basically a book every week to go back through and try to try to study and understand was good. I've already got a textbook. Mm-hmm. I don't need to create my own on the fly. <laughs> right yeah yeah that might be a good segue to the other article mm-hmm. or yeah yeah we can um did you want to walk through this yeah, one yeah we can mix them up and talk about them um 
So there is uh, this other article is um, again it's called "Taking Notes: Is the Pen Still Mightier Than the Keyboard?" And I'll, I'll again we'll link to this in show notes. Um, it's about a study from the journal Psychological Science um, by Pam Mueller and Daniel Oppenheimer. Um, and the gist of the study is students watched a a twenty minute uh, at one point they say lecture video, but elsewhere in the article it reveals that it was actually a TED talk. Um, so I'll let the reader insert their own opinion about whether or not that constitutes lecture video and how comparable that is to, uh, to a lecture. Um, but I think the results are probably going to generalize pretty well to actual students in real student settings. But, uh, students were in one of a couple of different conditions. Uh, all students were watching essentially the same video and it was chosen to be on a subject that the students were not likely to know much about before viewing the video. And students in one group were asked to take notes by hand, while students in another group were provided with laptops. And in order to uh, eliminate any possible effect of multitasking, because that's another big problem with laptops in classrooms is, you know, (laughs) you're likely to be playing games and checking Facebook. Um, I certainly was. Uh, And so these laptops were were specifically set up in in a digital environment where all you could do was take notes. Um, to eliminate any any confounding you know effect of multitasking, so it was students taking notes by hand versus students taking notes on a laptop, and then everybody got quizzed afterwards on what they had learned. And what the research found was that the students who took notes by hand did a better job on the quizzes. Mm-hmm. And these results persisted even when they introduced some variations. Uh, one variation they did is. They specifically, you know, one of the reasons they think this is the case is when you're taking notes, as we've said, you're slower. You know, it slows your thought. But more to the point, you can't write everything down that's being said. Whereas if you're typing, you know, a good touch typist can pretty much get everything down verbatim. Certainly get things, get a lot more down with a lot less processing. So the idea Mm -hmm. is if you are handwriting your notes, you are processing, you are synthesizing, you are summarizing, and that that process helps cement it in your memory. You learn the material better when you engage with it that way. Um, so one variation they did is they, they, you know, I essentially shared that hypothesis with the students who are on the laptops and said, hey, by the way, you'll learn this better <laughs> if you don't type everything verbatim and instead, you know, summarize and synthesize. And the people taking notes by hand still beat them. Um, in, in a different variation, it was thought, well, you know, it's also possible the people taking notes verbatim are taking a lot more notes, as I just said. You know, that's one of the problems with taking notes on a laptop is you might produce too much. Um, So they gave the students who had the laptops a chance to go home and study. And they still did worse than the people who took notes by hand. Um, (laughs) So so basically the idea of this research, um, you know, in brief is at least in the process of taking notes, and I, I think we can generalize this, you know, obviously this can be generalized to meetings or anything else you need to take notes at, not just classes, but I think we can generalize even more broadly than that. You know, we can talk about other places where, where writing by hand and synthesizing information might come up. Um, but yeah, the idea is, you know, if you take notes by hand, you're going to learn the material in a way that you don't if you are typing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah, I was just so struck by, and I'm looking for the particular line where they explain why you are processing it better on the way in. Um, do, 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 you can cut all this out. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it was something, uh, 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 uh. there we go. Um, 
Yeah, so midway through the article, it says, These findings align with neuroscience research on memory reconsolidation. When information is called up into the short-term memory after having been hardwired into the long-term memory, it sticks better the second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mueller, one of the researchers, as you said, um, says, if you process the information as it was coming in, then there's more in your brain for the refresher to hang on to. Sure. Um, so that was really striking to me to think about. Um, and you explained it very well that because you can't write everything down, you have to decide what's important. Mm-hmm. And how you want to capture it, what language do you want to use? You know, so are you jotting down some phrases verbatim, but other stuff, are you paraphrasing in a way that makes sense to you um, as you go? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I do think that, you know, some of these things are skills that you have to develop. Um, I'm thinking about what it must feel like to come into heavily or heavy lecture courses when you're not used to oh, that sure. arena. Definitely. You know, that's a lot of very fast, those are split-second decisions you have to mm-hmm. make about Does, what's important. Um, is the professor going to tell me what's important, or do I need to start listening for certain patterns? Right, um, right. Things like that. There's um, all the way back to episode number two of this podcast when we talked about Sheena Iyengar's um, The Art of Choosing. Uh, there's a certain thrust in research on expertise that says that a lot of the benefit of expertise is your ability to make good decisions, um, on limited information. And part of mm. the way that that tends to work is um, when you've developed a level of expertise, you get very good at filtering. Uh, and I do wonder if there's if there's some of that here too, where like, you know, good note takers, uh, and I believe the research used was using college students. So these were presumably people who had, you know, been taking notes in some capacity for some length of time. Um, mm-hmm. But I do wonder if if that is like you know if that's a if that is in fact a skill that needs to be built up is enough expertise in dealing with professors and lectures to know what can I filter out like which of this you know which of these points being emphasized do I need to capture and which ones can I cut away um, mm-hmm. you know and and perhaps that's something I mean certainly I feel like that's something I got better at as I went along um, mm-hmm. you know I. I can think of some classes where I spent entire lecture periods looking down and frantically writing. Um, and I can also think of other classes that I remember a lot more of the material of from now where I did not do that. Um, and I don't mm-hmm. know that it was just a transition from trying to do a verbatim capture by hand. It's <laughs> crazy mm-hmm. as that sounds. Um, so yeah. much as I just got better at knowing, okay, you know what? This is fluff right here. I, I just need to grab, you know, the things you said a moment ago and then listen for the next big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, as you were talking about that, about developing that skill, um, I just realized another application of this mm-hmm. that makes me want to share this article even more. <laughs> um, over the weekend, I actually shared it with my writing center students already um, because so much of our work happens as markings on drafts. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're writing in, in pen and pencil um, right. with other students and, you know, students are doing most of the marking, but... Um, you know, we work with this technology, the low tech stuff, paper and pencils. Um, so I thought they would be able to find some interesting applications with it. But another one I just thought of that I just realized was, um, is speech is competitive speech. Mm -hmm. Um, so in most of the categories, um, at the college level, we're working with 10 minute or under, usually under, (laughs) um, it's a time limit, uh, you know, so nine-minute presentations, mm-hmm. performances, whatever. Um, 
and that was definitely a skill I had to learn was how do I, as it's happening, decide what is important about this performance? Right. How do I choose what to respond to when I haven't seen the whole thing yet? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like, um, and here we're primarily talking about things that are listened to, right? Things that are observed that way. Um, when you have a text that you can go back and read again and again, some of these things I think would be different. Um, you have more flexibility in, in what helps you process the information. Mm-hmm. You have more choices. Um, yeah. But yeah, like in the case of speech, you, you are judging a singular performance. You, you, know, you may be thinking of prior performances of the same piece by the same student, um, but what you need to be responding to is what you're seeing in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and I fell prey to this. This is so funny. When I started coaching for my first year or so, um, I certainly was conscious that I was writing down too much and yet I felt like I wasn't saying enough. Mm. And then over time that has switched. Mm -hmm. I write much less, but I feel like my comments are more effective. Um, they are shorter, but they're also more specific. Sure. Um, well, and that's, yeah, so that's definitely a skill. Yeah, I, I, you know, just thinking about other examples too. I'm, I, you know, I'm just thinking about the difference between sharing, sharing something from an article on, say, Facebook, uh, versus sharing something from an article on Twitter. Um, hmm. You know, and I, and I'm not going to say that doing so in either case constitutes studying or makes you smart. Um, uh, or really even makes you look smart, you know, because <laughs> I know. Yeah, you might have just read. Yeah, the headline. I know a lot of stuff. I know a lot of stuff gets shared just, you know, for appearances sake. But just thinking about like what you have to do if you want to capture the essence of something on Twitter, especially if you want to have a single tweet where you are sharing why you think this matters or what the what the salient point is, as well as mm. the name of the person who said it or wrote it and a link <laughs> to the thing. You're not going to have very many words at all. You're really going to have to think about, you know, what words, you know, what is the meaning of this in, in 10 words or less? Because um, you don't have very many characters to play with. Whereas on Facebook, you can just grab a giant paragraph or two or four and link to the article and type out the whole or copy and paste the whole headline and byline and voila. Or in a lot of cases, I mean, mm-hmm. most people probably just grab the grab the link and let the, uh, you know, Facebook and most, most clients, I believe now show a little preview of whatever is linked to. Um, sure. I, I think so. Anyhow, I'm not on Facebook that much, <laughs> but as we know, <laughs> you know, and Twitter's starting to move in that direction too. But I mean, really, if you want to capture what you thought was good about this, you know, Facebook, go copy and paste a big section verbatim. You don't really have sure. to think about it. You just sort of skim through it. You see a paragraph that catches your eye and grab it. Boom, done. Um, mm-hmm. Twitter, no. <laughs> Again, especially if you <laughs> want to put the person's name in Lincoln, you've got less than 100 characters then. You know, you've really got to think it through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying that that makes, you know, people on Twitter smart and people on Facebook dumb because, believe me, everybody on both of them is really dumb. Um <laughs> I mean, I'm on Twitter. Come on. Wah, wah. Uh, but I am yeah, saying, I am saying, it's a good illustration of the skill involved, you know. And I think that's part of one of the many reasons why Twitter is not Facebook. You know, Twitter is popular, but it's not Facebook popular because not just anybody has the skill. You know, and I think a lot of people could develop it. I'm not saying that people on Facebook are dumb. Again, 
Not saying that. Oh I'll say that God. on another podcast. <laughs> Do I need to cut you off? <laughs> but it's, it is a skill, and not everybody has uh-huh. it, and not everybody mm-hmm. wants to have it. Well, or does not see the value in taking the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for me, I'm thinking about uh, if I'm sharing an article specifically for, I'm assuming, the content or the argument of it, I will usually do some sort of framing, even if I'm not pulling specific information out. I might say something like, this seems super valuable to people who blankety blank, mm-hmm. you know. And then I will share it so that people see that I'm suggesting it and then people see the headline or whatever, um, if it's simple enough. Um, But yeah, no, I I do think that process can be important. So maybe it doesn't say that the the poster is necessarily (laughs) smarter or more well-versed, but at least for me personally, I think it forces me to decide how I understand and how Mm -hmm. I feel about a certain article or whatever yeah yeah, for Um, sure because as you said you have to synthesize yeah and i mean you gotta you have to know too you know what is something i did for a long time um in meetings at work you know thinking about about other applications as well um their actual applications one habit that i think i think ultimately ended up being a bad habit and I've, i've mostly stopped was when i was in a meeting uh at any job i've had i kind of treated any meeting notes i was taking as though they were minutes um you know and i'm writing down you know a bullet for every topic that comes up and some sub bullets and some discussion that goes on and decisions reached when really like what i need is i need you know one or two sentences of the gist of the entire meeting if I even need that, plus any specific questions I'm supposed to answer, information that I asked questions about that I got, you know, anything I asked for, mm-hmm. you know, information specifically that I wanted, or anything that I'm going to be expected to do or that I'm expecting somebody else to do. Wait, you know, some action yeah, items. Yeah, action items, waiting mm-hmm. fors, you know, notes that are information that I specifically asked for, and a really rough, really quick and dirty overview of the whole thing. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the overview, I don't even need that a lot of the time. Um, I'm in a weekly right. meeting for a project right now that I don't really need to know the tone and tenor of the meeting and what was, what was the major topic <laughs> of, you know, it's a, it's a project. I need to know what my next piece of it is. And I need to write down any answers to questions <laughs> I asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that doesn't mean I don't listen to everything else. Um, I don't, but <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it, it just means that, I don't need that written down. I don't need three pages of what everybody said and did in that meeting. Right. Um, That's not the value of you being there. Yeah. And that, that reminds me, that leads me back to something from, um, I don't remember which one of these I wrote this down on. Oh yeah. I wrote this down on this one. Um, it kind of, it kind of pertains to the subject of both and, and kind of just thinking overall, like at one counter argument, I was thinking against this, this study was that, even if you're not learning it as well the first time through, like a lecture can be really valuable and having that verbatim transcript can really matter um, in some cases to some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for the most part, not as much as l- really learning a few th- few key things. Um, I think if you, you know, from your average, say, social science or humanities lecture, I think if you really learn and really think about and really make part of yourself and how you look at the subject three key points from a 50-minute lecture, that's going to be better than having a permanent record of everything the professor said. Personally, I Mm -hmm. think that. 
Um, but kind of the way I started thinking about it was, you know, like there are there are probably cases where you want somebody to be typing and to get it all down. Um, again, I, I mentioned the idea of the meeting notes shouldn't be meeting minutes. But if you have somebody taking <laughs> meeting minutes, you probably want them to type. Mm-hmm. And you probably don't care mm-hmm. if they synthesize information well and remember it. You want a record. Um, same thing with like a, a stenographer or a court reporter. Like you, you <laughs> want them to be typing as fast as humanly possible to get it all down because that record serves a function. Um, it is a verbatim record. And kind of a question I wrote in the margin here is, um, are you a journalist or are you a stenographer? <laughs> mm, I like you that. Know, and it's it, journalist or yeah. I, I kind of argued with myself below it in the margin as well, but I I ultimately landed on <laughs> you're Max. No, you're Max. <laughs> well, I didn't know if journalist was the right term because there's also I mean people also have this notion that like journalism is supposed to be objective with a capital O and you know get yeah, the right. facts right and yada yada. And yes, mm-hmm. absolutely, that's a great value of journalism. But you know it doesn't matter how good of a journalist you are. Um, your camera will never be high enough resolution to capture the physical reality that existed in that moment, mm-hmm. let alone the context around it. Mm-hmm. You know, you will never have enough room to write enough words to really get everything that was going on right then down and right, if you could even find it all. Mm-hmm. And that's the other problem is you will never be able to you, – you can't give the coverage. You know, 100 journalists covering a tiny <laughs> event will not get every facet – of everything going on, you know, from the smallest particles and bugs in the room all the way up to the big, you know, millennium-long historical story that this is part of, you will never have enough resources to get it all, you know. You really know how to let the sun shine. (laughs) Point being, no matter how, how good you are, how good your equipment is, if you're a journalist, you are summarizing. You know, you want the facts, but you are presenting mm-hmm. those those certain facts that you think are the important ones. And you're making editorial decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I like that. Editorial decisions. Yeah. Um, maybe essayist would be a little more, would get us a little more coverage mm-hmm. for the type of stuff we're thinking mm-hmm. of. Could be. Because um, it's not just capture. It Some of it is reflection and processing. So, um, oh, I had an example in my brain. Um, so whereas a journalist, as you mentioned, uh, would, I mean, generally we're not talking about, um, personalities, like real personalities who are journalists. Um, you know, there is less personal reflection and reaction. Um, you know, in, in radio, I'm thinking of, um, you know, news reporting, there is some, Oh, tell us what it's like on the scene. What does it feel like Mm -hmm. to be there? There is some of that. Um, and I think that type of capture can be valuable too when you're processing something. Um, I know I try to do it when I'm (laughs) the most common thing is probably when I'm getting frustrated with an author. Um, I'm just like, ugh, I don't like this tone or whatever, (laughs) you know, because I, I feel like that's important to remember, you know, this is how this type of language struck me the first time through. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's valuable reflection for me as a reader and writer. Um, yeah, so maybe essayist or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah it, but yeah, no, I, I get you. I get you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I don't think it's a bad. That's a bad metaphor either. Just the point being, though, that you're making. You know, you are making decisions. You're going to have to boil this down to something. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that's uh, yeah. Some of the advantage of of writing is it will force you to boil it down rather than typing, where right. you can pretend to capture it all. 
Um, although even even <laughs> if you are fast enough to type everything that a lecturer says, you're still going to miss stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I defy you to type every detail of their body language and tone of voice. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can't notice all those things at once anyway. So yeah, exactly. It's yeah, what again, did stand again, out coverage. to you? What did you notice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't cover all yeah, that, yeah. even if you could write it all. You can't mm-hmm. be there to observe it all. Well, and I think sort of what we're circling around is that that's not really what you were going for either, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not everything is important. Some of what these skills are are identifying patterns. Um, can you find the highlights and important points um, in a given text or presentation or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um and can you, here we go, prioritize. <laughs> Indeed. It's, it's a matter of, um, you know, one of the things we, we say in the tagline of the show is choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Um, mm-hmm. Choices and limitations in particular here. You know, we're talking about uh, having a medium that slows you down and limits what you can capture um, will force you to make choices and does impose limitations. Um, going back to the, the first article... The, uh, yes, uh, three ways notebooks top, um, digital writing is, you know, there's, there is, she talked about volume being an advantage of a notebook. Like you can see how much you put on the page. You can see how many pages you filled. It fills physical space. That's also a limitation. You know, in one note on a computer, you can keep typing at the bottom of the page and it will keep giving you new lines. (laughs) Like magic. Until you've typed, you know, 150 gigabytes or however much goes in your laptop. And believe me, you're not going to type that much. Uh, whereas, oh if you, if you, I'm really into telling people what they I can I think do. you're the limitation. Yeah, I'm, I'm very limiting today. Um, but whereas, <laughs> like, you know, if you've, if you've got your notebook, you've got the page. And then you have to flip over to the next page. And you can do that for a while, but, you know, you hit whatever, 50, 70, 100 of them. 200 and a really thick mm-hmm. one. You know, you're done. And if you want more, then you mm-hmm. got to carry more notebooks around. Mm-hmm. What what other? I mean, I thought that was a good conversation. Yeah. Um, what else did you have in your notes on note taking? Uh, I actually have quite a bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know for sure which direction we'd go. Um, so one one thing I liked from uh, this is from Snell and Hurley's conversation on upgrade. Um, uh, but one thing that Mike Hurley mentions, there is a popular among geeks line of notebooks called field notes. Um, mm. I am not actually a fan. Um, they, I, I like nice notebooks. I'm looking at a stack of like eight of a style of Franklin Covey notebook that is not made anymore that I stockpiled when they were on clearance. <laughs> so I mean, you know, I like notebooks. Oh. I like the aesthetics of good notebooks. I don't particularly care mm-hmm. for field notes, but you know, they, they are nice notebooks and they do appeal to a certain crowd. They're kind of a, I don't know, they're a geekier version of Moleskine, um, okay. which doesn't, I mean, you know, I think Moleskine is probably German for badly overrated notebook. Um, I hate those things, but I don't hate field notes. I just don't prefer them. But anyhow, the long digression <laughs> to say, uh, Mike recounted field notes, um, tagline, which is, I am not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. Um, which the more I think about, the less I think means anything, but I like it. It's very poetic and it, it kind of gets at some of this, you know, there is an element of active capture in writing something down and having to synthesize it that is not there in 
um, you know, typing it out and moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, this isn't quite as poetic, but what I just thought is something like sometimes my act of jotting something down, whether it's um, on a list or just in my journal or wherever, um, maybe it's something that I won't ever reference again, mm-hmm. but it's, it's me deciding to tell myself that it's important. Right. You know, so when I choose to write it down, I am making the decision mm-hmm. that it's important in some way, even if I don't know yeah. how. And, you know, there's certainly something there. Like, I don't want to say that every decision we make in the moment about whether something's good or valuable or not is going to be right. There's plenty of notes that I haven't ever looked at again. Um, oh, yeah. Or you have that joy of yeah. checking them later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, have, I have a couple GTD-related notes. One of them is um, kind of kind of related to that same idea. One of the things that David Allen recommends, for, as far as note-taking goes, and, you know, that's a big part of getting things done in his subsequent books, is trying to get people to take more notes in their life. Um he says it's a good habit to write a date on everything you write down. And mm-hmm. he, he even concedes in saying that, that it's not going to be valuable that often. But what he says, I think relates to what you just said, the few times it will come up, like the few times you do have to later say, you know what, I know that was on Tuesday the 17th of 2014 because yada da 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 You know, if you have to prove that someday, or if that's going to help you find something else that you're having trouble locating, but if you have the date, it would help. You know, mm-hmm. that's huge. And it's, right. it's a tiny little habit. But again, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decision. Like, is it important to have a date on this or not? That's a decision that you have to make. That's, that's part of the process. Like, you are burning a little more time and a little more space on your paper if you decide to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And how many of those things <laughs> can you think to do to make it easier for your future mm-hmm. self? You yeah. know, you're not always doing it for your current self, right. which is what we've been talking about. But oh, yeah. um, sure. some of it is being good to your future self. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. something that I, I think uh, one, one thing that, you know, another another outside of note taking, like outside of meetings, outside of class kind of application I was thinking about was, you know, as I, as, as I said a few minutes ago, I'm using a paper notebook right now for, you know, keeping track of my projects and to do's and things. And mm-hmm. um I, the process of if the process of writing by hand is in a way that typing is not making me remember things, then a lot of the value of you know getting it off your mind that's another big big tenet in GTD uh, and not just in getting things done either. It, uh, Franklin Covey in one of their older time management seminars also talked about this about how once you write it down you can forget about it because it's you know it's in the planner it'll mm-hmm. come back up on the right date. Um, I've always found, though, once I've written them down, they're more likely to stick in my mind anyways. Right. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think one thing I would say is if you are a hardcore, you know, getting things done fanatic and you believe in David Allen's core tenet of getting things off your mind, you might want to consider a digital tool so you will actually forget them until you look at the list again. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, Quit clogging up the space. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah I, mm-hmm. I don't think the one thing I will say though that I mean writing it down even just writing it down even though I'm likely to remember it one thing I don't find myself doing that I do find myself doing when I don't record a task anywhere uh, mm-hmm. and this is one of the problems GTD is meant to address is I am mentally rehearsing it and reminding myself of it and that's kind of annoying whereas oh, after yeah. I've written it down I might remember it but I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, since I've gotten better at putting things on my calendar especially, I will sort of coach myself out of those moments where I will say, but I'm getting up at this time. You may look at your calendar then and think <laughs> about the day. <laughs> there is no reason to think about it right now. That is for another mm-hmm. moment. And your calendar is there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So similarly, your, your notes are there. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at Priority FM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. got to the most important one which is Moleskine is German for overrated notebook mm-hmm. now we've pretty much exhausted my notes oh Moleskine is Italian um yeah so it's Italian for uh, stupid Americans that's right Moleskine <laughs> Mol- <laughs> Linguini now I make now I may cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I'm going to go to the store and pick up some uh, penne and uh, molluskine. Molluskine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a thick, leathery uh, pasta yeah. that uh, has uh, pretentious marketing about how, you know, J.D. Salinger used to write in them. Oh, yeah. Do you prefer with grid lines or without? With what? With grid lines or without? Oh, it doesn't even matter. They're stupid and overrated. <laughs> this um, week on things Max hates. Yeah, I my uh, I, again at some point I'll probably put together a YouTube video of this. But the the planner I'm using it's actually it's it's a Staples <laughs> notebook, and I do have both grid line and line lined paper in it. Sure. Um, do you ever use the grid lined paper in a way that you actually did need it to be grid? Um. Well, kind of. <laughs> Um, so the, <laughs> like, could it have been as easily done elsewhere? Right. Usually, so there are things I do on grid line paper that is better done on grid lines than on, um, lined paper. Uh, and right now, All one right. of the things that I do on grid line paper, um, would probably be best done on blank paper, but the actual, the, <laughs> the, the line of notebooks I'm using, which are the Staples Arc notebook, um, it's a disc bound planner, which is, you know, an alternative to binders that just like a binder, you could move pages around. Um, but, uh, they don't actually make just plain white pages, at least not in the size I'm using. So, um, and, but anyhow, that's, that's drawing like, uh, mind maps or, or sort of like dishes and trees and things like that when I'm plotting, plotting out a project or brainstorming or something like that. Um, gotcha. that's a lot better on grid line than line to paper, I find, um, and the other thing that I'll frequently do is I do also use them a lot in writing down project plans where, like, I've got an outline of things to do because very often I will have multiple columns of stuff when I do that, um, you know, <laughs> if I have a couple distinct moving sure. parts. So um, mm-hmm. kind of a silly example but but related to the show. So 
you know, it, say say that I was considering like a certain chunk or season of the show as being a project, and we had certain episodes to do. Um, I any given week, I really just have to work on this week's episode. Like after today, I'm waiting for you to send me the audio, and then we're I'm listening to it to make edits, and then I'm listening to it to get links, and I'm we're discussing the uh, the synopsis and title, and you know I've got these 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 things to do for that one this week. But say we're also planning in a couple yeah. weeks to be reading a book, so I need to be reading that book and gathering sources, and you know, so I might have two little lists side by side because they're parallel; they don't have to be done in sequence. Um, sure. So I do stuff like that where, where, and it's easier to do columns, you know, if you've got multiple. Um, but anyhow, as far as like, am I drawing like a isometric drafting kind of, you know, blueprint of a screw or something? No. Um, I'm, I'm not generally, well, doing, yeah. I'm not making mazes. Um, I'm not doing Minesweeper by hand. I don't know. What else do people use graph paper for? Oh, math. I'm not doing well, math. Well, that's my question. I'm not doing math. math. <laughs> What's the thing? Like, I'll have to ask Billy yeah. if there are... Well, and I will, I will tell you, though, as far as, like, a moleskine with graph paper, um, <laughs> I almost want to say not to do this because I think these are stupid, but there is this, this hip new thing in the world of productivity porn. Um, and this is productivity porn, listeners. I'm, I'm not going not gonna to flinch on that one. Um... Have you heard of bullet journaling? Uh, no. Do I want to know? Uh, it, it's fine. Go ahead. It really is fine. <laughs> um, I I always say bullet journaling in my head when I read it though, because it's so. <clears throat> I don't I don't know if you remember. I gave you a couple Franklin Covey things a million years ago. Um, they have mm-hmm. like little symbols that they recommend you use next to your tasks. Yeah. Like you use a check mark if it's done. If you start it and you have to walk away and do something else, you get interrupted, you put a little dot by it so you remember like which ones are kind of in progress. Um, if you're not going to do it, you put an X. You know, X means deleted. And if you got to mm-hmm. move it to another day, you put a little arrow. And then last one that Franklin Covey had, um, and this one I, I don't know that I've seen an earlier source for, so they might have made it up. Um, might be original to them. You draw a little circle if it's something that you originally had on your list but you're delegating to somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you make a circle, you write in their initials and then, you know, if they get back to you and say it's done, you check it off or, you know, again, use the same symbols, mm-hmm. just the circle lets you know somebody okay. else worked on it. Um, sure. so bullet journaling is kind of this idea that, uh, and I'm, I'm probably going to mangle this cause again, I think it's stupid. Um, but <laughs> you, uh, write down you shoot the journal, they, <laughs> you shoot the journal. That's right. No, that's what you should do. Um, you write down Dumb things as they thing. occur to you or as they come up. So just you have a big list, okay. you know, as you go. Uh, and then there are symbols that you draw in to indicate what's going on. And I'll link to some of these on uh, – there's a bajillion of them on Pinterest. A lot of people have got these sets of like 10, 12, 15, 20, 25 symbols that they use. Like, oh, I put a slash across the square. And they do that. Often this is done on graph paper. That's why I brought this up. So, like, the, the little squares of the graph paper can become the box in which you make these dumb symbols. So I put a slash if it's, if it's a project that I've started working on. And then I color in the triangle underneath the slash if it's halfway done but I'm not going to finish today. And then I color it in all the way if it's done for real. And then I make an arrow to the right if I'm moving it to another list on another day. And I make an arrow to the left if I'm giving it to somebody else. And I make an arrow up to, you know, it's just like... 
there's a hundred little things you can draw in these stupid squares to indicate what you did with this bullet in your, you know, it, you're making a bullet of one shape or another in your bullet journal is the idea. Um, and I, it just looks super fiddly and tedious to me. And I feel like, I feel like it's, it's this thing, especially when you read all the bajillions of blog posts where somebody posts a picture of the key they made on the first graph page of their bullet journal for what all their bullets mean. I feel like it's an exercise in making a taxonomy of symbols for what's going on with your notes and tasks that day um, in place of actually, you know, <laughs> doing your tasks and taking notes. Mm-hmm. So bullet journaling. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that could be done with graph paper, um, particularly the Moleskine variety. But yeah, I, I just use it to have like either more structured space when I need columns or to have a free space where I can just, you know, doodle and, you know, do a big mind map or something like that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And math. It's just one of those things that always seems like it would be more fun or more, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, not inspiring. Cause that's not the right word, yeah. but more, more, more fun to use. Somehow. Yeah. Like would somehow make the work more, more productive right. because it's more fun. Well, and the thing or offers more ideas or something. Yeah. The thing that actually, but then I never use it the, ever. The thing that led me to bullet journaling was looking at things on Pinterest where people use notebooks of graph paper and then make them into planners by like drawing in heavier lines to like divide them up into days and columns and sections. Oh, that sounds tedious. It, and I, I'm now that, do that does tedious sound tedious. Things. Like I don't, I don't think, it, I don't think I've got the time for that kind of fiddliness in my life, but I actually kind of admire that because I find planner design super frustrating. Um, sure. You know, there is frequently like a hundred things that are almost what you need and 99 of them anyhow are going to be really hard to get most of the year, you know, or if something happens to yours and it's nowhere <laughs> near the next start date, which is usually January. Right. You know, sometimes academic year stuff, but, um, yeah, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck. So there's, there's a lot of limitations. Um, so I do, I kind of admire it, but yeah, it is super fiddly and time consuming. Um, but that I was looking at and saying, Ooh, cool. And then I discovered bullet journaling and I was like, Oh God. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, graph paper. Graph paper. Yes. Um, so yeah, take notes by hand. Uh, throw away your moleskine. It's pretentious. It's not helping you. Mm-hmm. And uh, use graph paper um, for things that are creative or for math. Make good choices, people. <laughs> I think that's probably a wrap like four times. <laughs> um, I didn't say it once, but I kept a tally in my mm. head. I wanted to say nerd alert five times to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be fair, one of them was when you repeated that you wanted to make a video of walking through your planner. I do. I really do. And I believe you. That's why it's it's a loving nerd alert. People people would, would Pinterest the shit out of that. Yeah. They would they would pin it to their interest or whatever. Very what good. am I pinning this to? That's what I want to know. <sighs> I mean, I like it. I've got like a hundred pins, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just pinning. But pinning to the cloud just sounds so poetic. Or am, am I mispronouncing it? Is it pining? Well, you can pine for your pins. Mm. Yeah. Okay. This is. This has gotten silly. (laughs) All right. I think we can cut it off there. Hee hee.